2020, and there's as ever loads going on with the blues. Um, what about Sunday, eh, Pat? Well, there's never a dull week, is there? Before before we start, there's never a, a dull, dull day. Week. There's never <laughs> never a dull day. It, phrasing it even better, and yeah, obviously Sunday was a a real low point for Everton Football Club as a whole. Um, in a curious way, I got this kind of knot in my stomach when I saw that Liverpool team sheet. I almost thought Everton were then. This is fatalism, obviously, but I almost felt as though Everton were more likely to lose the game as a result of seeing that team and the fresh legs and this 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 idea that Everton then had to go and win the game and were favoured to win that win the game. I felt as though it didn't play in Everton's favour at all, and and obviously what transpired on the pitch wasn't wasn't very good either. So there's no shortage of of news lines and, and interesting points to talk about from the game. There's no shortage of interesting points to talk about from after the game, the fallout, everything else that we've already reported ourselves. What did what did you make of the, the performance itself? I mean, the first half, we should have been home and hose, shouldn't we, if we'd, if we'd have taken those chances. I don't think it was down to any particularly exceptional goalkeeper from Adrian. Um, I think it was poor finishing. I think Mason Holgate has to do better with that header, although Richardson needs to finish that chance. Um, I think Dominic Carvalhoon makes a bad decision when he's when, when he's through and maybe he damned if he does, damned if he doesn't because we're, we're asking him in many ways or he's being asked to be more selfish and be more like a centre-forward. But still, decision-making in key moments cost us. And then the second half, oh my God. <laughs> it says it all that it was one of the worst performances I've ever seen us um, produce at Anfield. And there's been a lot in mm. the past 20 plus years. And that was right up there in the context of the side, we were, the opposition, the importance of it to our season, particularly as, as in contrast to Liverpool's. Um, and God, you know what? Actually, a, a mate of mine who's uh, not a particularly histrionic blue, not really a, a drama queen, I got a WhatsApp after the game and, and he just sent me a picture of his season ticket cut up. <laughs> and he said, really? I have had enough. <laughs> I've had enough. I've okay. reached the end of my tether. And whilst I don't think I would have, uh, you know, I've never done that. You're not going to be put, cutting up your press card then? No, I won't <laughs> be cutting my press card. No. What, did I myself all those sweet pre-game, pre-game treats? No, uh, I just, I, I empathised. It was, I think I felt, because you, you were at Anfield, weren't you? Um, but I think on a personal level, as an Evertonian as well, aside from, you know, in a professional capacity, I felt acutely embarrassed so now I, so I said someone on Twitter a bit humiliated really mm. um, it's not a nice way to feel about your club is it no it really isn't and I guess that stems from the fact that they, they lost to weakened opposition Everton fans are no strangers to going to Anfield and seeing their side lose games of football in some cases they've lost games of football in the most abject or galling ways possible so I remember a game where Kyriakos was sent off early doors for a tackle on Fellaini. Probably Marouane Fellaini should have got sent off himself. Didn't. Everton were able to go toe-to-toe. It was a really good Everton side containing Landon Donovan, yeah. and Tim Cale, Mikel Arteta, players of that quality. And they still transpired to lose the game 1-0. They've been 4-0 defeats. They've been 5-2 defeats against kind of mix-and-match mm. Liverpool sides. Mm. Jordan Pickford's mistake last year I thought was probably the lowest you could go <laughs> at Anfield <laughs> as an as an Everton fan. Dun, 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 until but then we had the kind of that East Enders drum roll and Sunday. we had um Sunday and the performance there. I know I know some people disagreed with um part of what I wrote in my match piece that came out on Monday on the athletic site. Where I kind of said, yeah of course, missed chances, they were 
outfought, certain players seemed to be a bit off the pace, certain players seemed to be leggy. But I also felt, and I, I don't know if you agree with this, so it'd be interesting to get your thoughts, but I also felt as though there was an element of being outthought as well, and I wrote this in the piece. It was almost so it kind of got to 45 minutes, and Liverpool looked at this and thought, if we do a few things here, if we tweak a few things, and we put pressure on Everton in certain areas, they will not be able to cope with that. And it was almost like Everton didn't respond. So Origi plays out on the left instead of as a central striker. You've got Minamino, who we thought would play just behind the central striker, as almost like a false nine. And he just presses Everton into oblivion. They keep on going back and back and back, getting entrenched in their own half. And Jordan Pickford ends up having to be the escape route, the escape option, playing the ball long. But it wasn't long in kind of a well-thought-out kind of way. It was, let's just clear the ball and get these pressing forwards off our backs. So that that's where the kind of the elements, not only out-thought, but I thought they were out-thought as well. And maybe there are a few things, not just that the players will look back on, they need to shoulder a huge burden for that defeat, but also maybe the management will look back on and think, well, maybe we would have done things a little bit differently in, in, in our own way if we had our time again. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first half, especially the first half hour, you know, they've looked at Nat Phillips, an inexperienced player in the central defence, and they've said to Dom, you know, go and compete against him, make his life difficult, challenge for every ball, put yourself about and you know, he did that and we were playing direct, uh, to an extent, a bit direct, balls into the box and it, he looked really nervy and for some reason we stopped doing that. Yeah. And in the second half, I think you're right, Liverpool made a few tweaks but they still had a substandard personnel on the pitch, didn't they? Yeah. And by comparison, yeah. you know, we absolutely deteriorated and to the point where it was a, a farce, really. It was it was shambolic and yeah, I think Carlo Ancelotti, look, Certainly not starting to criticise the new manager. But I do think uh, I agree with you that there's a few things that if he looks back at it, he would have done differently. Um, and maybe, it, you, you know, you might have seen Tom Davis come in um, just add a little bit of extra energy to compete in the centre of the park where they all of a sudden had, you know, fresher legs. I suppose it's worth mentioning, isn't it, that um, I think you did write at the top that they did have the benefit of albeit that they hadn't played together much that team. They were all far fresher and had stamina levels, not just because of their age, but because of the fact that they haven't been playing as much. Yeah. We put out a full-strength team, which no one would have disputed because of the importance comparatively for us. But equally, we put out a team that had just been on the end of a really gruelling run of fixtures. So maybe legs started to, to be sapped. But that's a tiny bit of mitigation. It doesn't explain... That complete collapse in the second half. Does no, it? no, not not at all. And I think the the danger sometimes is that we look for reasons for defeats of that nature. Yeah, and that we maybe settle on one thing, and uh, the players aren't trying hard enough, or the manager got it wrong. Whatever, whatever the particular situation may be, I just felt as though everything across the board was kind of. It, it, every, I, I wrote in the piece that loads of issues reared their ugly head in that particular scenario. So not only was it about the players out on the pitch, but it was also about the players that weren't out on the pitch, that weren't signed over the summer, for example, like a, another centre-back or a, a proven goal scorer, maybe another central midfielder. We we know Marco Silva wanted a kind of box-to-box type of yeah. Ducore or Ndombele when, when Ndombele was at Lyon. You can look at kind of tired legs to an extent, some managerial decisions, mm. some profligacy in front of goal, um, composure, all the legacy of Anfield. I think you can all raise legitimate reasons for Everton 
losing that particular game. And that's when it becomes, I think, a bit more difficult. Then there's a bit more nuance there. It's not it's not Ancelotti's fault or it's not Morgan Schneidlin's fault. Maybe it's just all of those things coming together in that perfect kind of Everton maelstrom <laughs> that, that happens every now and then. And I just think I think now it's more just a case of of course there have been stories that have come out in the aftermath. We've been on the pulse with those stories as well. But I think almost now we're at that kind of crucial juncture towards the end of the week where all focus has to kind of be on righting this wrong, steadying the ship as soon as possible and getting a crucial win against Brighton. Because Everton might be out of cup competitions, but they still need to get to 40 points now too. Yeah, they do, they do. Well, some things never change at Anfield, do they? But a few things have changed around here. <laughs> well, what an Alan Partridge link that was. Um, <laughs> but we have, we've got a sponsor and yeah. we might might just be, be about to make you that little bit more stylish, as you said, depressingly listen to our litany of Everton failures. Uh, this podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix. It's an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, you can go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic and fill in a style quiz. So you tell them about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. Paddy, I can see your eyes lighting up here. Well, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I did actually do this last <laughs> night. I, I was told about it. I was told about it a few days ago, and we were we were sent a link to try it ourselves, weren't we? So, me being um, the slight miser I am when it comes to money, I was straight on it, having a look at what was available, um, and I'm delighted by this promise that they're going to make us dress better because it's been something that's been in, <laughs> in kind of short supply in my wardrobe for quite a while. Um, so, so no, that's going to be interesting. I'm not I'm not entirely sure they're going to make me look like Tom Davis. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think I'd still is, have a bit, a bit of work, <laughs> bit of work to do. Well, I'm not sure. We, you can judge judge your own um, judge your own conclusions from that. But it's it, yeah, it's an interesting prospect, isn't it? So, a personal stylist will then send once you've sent them, you know, the, those details mentioned there, your size, your style, your budget pad and mine in your shape a personal stylist will send you five items of clothing each hand-picked especially for you from their selection of 100 brands including established names up-and-coming designers maybe not up-and-coming in the sense of Delmont Calvert-Lewin and uh, Tom Davies uh, exclusive brands that, that you won't get anywhere else so you can try on everything at home and style them with other items in your wardrobe you, you can then pay for what you love and send back the rest uh, for your stylist time, you pay a charge of just a tenner, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. And remember, you can try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, which I think is quite good, isn't it? And you don't need a subscription to sign up. Maybe I'll be like a queer eye with the French talk. <laughs> Giving away my uh, Netflix. It's a watch. niche. It's a niche. Uh, <laughs> niche reference that some of the listeners will know. I, I, I'll be honest. It went, went over my head because see I'm that not, sailing into the distance. No, no, yeah. it's, it's a little bit of you know, like you know, when you got the GIF on Twitter <laughs> with the tumbleweed. Yeah, but that that says more about my it, interest in Netflix. I guess it's how you. Uh, it basically your shirt is either neither out or in. It's kind of in or out. That's what I try and go for. There you go. You've got I'm not like because my like my my brother. Not to put too fine a point on it, he'll tuck his shirts in sometimes. <laughs> But I just don't like that at all. It just seems like a bit kind of old well, school for me. So you've already mastered the French there talk. There you are, yeah. Um, get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Now, obviously, Sunday we were talking before, weren't we, about how, what a just a, a, an absolute disaster it was. Um, and it wasn't just confined to the pitch. Uh, you know, the fallout continued. We, you and I, did a piece on Tuesday um, yep. about 
the scenes in the dressing room. Um, I don't know if you've checked it out on the site. Uh, it was certainly got a lot of you talking. Um, a lot of the subscribers on there were. I've never seen as many comments on one of our pieces. No, it, it really, it really did get fire up a bit of a debate. But essentially, if you haven't read it, Duncan Ferguson was not happy, as you can well imagine. After that, um, Carlo Ancelotti usually goes and does his press duties first. So in that time in between, um, Duncan, you know, dished out a few home truths to the dressing room in Anfield. And uh, fair to say from what we understand, mate, that, that some of the players, you know, obviously most of them, I think, would have just got their head down and taken it on the chin, given what had happened. But some didn't didn't think they were as bad as people thought. No, I, th- I think I think there was a, a fundamental disagreement. And obviously we're stressing the point that this is not the whole of the Everton dressing room. It's just a, a select few individuals who disagreed, I think, with the assumption that they hadn't tried hard enough yeah. in, that, in that second half. We we know that they were, to an extent, chasing shadows against Liverpool, particularly as legs started to drain and a few tactical flaws came in. And I think there was just a little bit of a... a there, there was a disparity between what Ferguson and Ancelotti thought and potentially what the, the players themselves believed. So um, that that seems to be the crux of the issue. I think in... in in a few cases, the, the, there's a feeling that um, maybe tactically they could have done more, that there are still a few lingering issues in terms of p- personnel. And I think everybody at the football club as well acknowledges that they're still not where they want to be in terms of um, morale, but also recruitment. So um, when we talk about, and I mentioned this earlier, when we talk about issues lingering and background issues for defeats, this is what tends to happen and I, I don't think it's the first time there's been a disagreement in a in a dressing room after a it's, game it's a healthy thing it probably happens in every dressing room after every defeat doesn't it well yeah but, but you'd hope so because you wouldn't want everyone to be sat there content and happy after that no well, th- well that's it and to an extent we, we saw that didn't we certain players um were straight down the tunnel certain players after the game Jerry Mina that that image is imprinted on my mind the one image almost like kind of summed up every Evertonian as soon as the, the final whistle finished, he fell to the Anfield turf. He had his shirt over his head and his hands on his head, um, almost like the emotion of the occasion was a bit too much. And players respond to defeat in different ways. I think that point's been, been made by Gilfie Sigurdsson um, during this week. But some, some of them obviously didn't go over. A lot of them didn't go over and, and, and clap the fans after the game, which I know is another one of those things that's kind of raised tensions tensions afterwards that then obviously goes into the dressing room and you've got somebody in Duncan Ferguson who's obviously pretty forthright in his views. If he believes people aren't trying, aren't giving the role, then he's he's obviously going to give them both barrels, full barrels, if you will. Um, and some didn't agree with that assumption. So I think that as far as we understand it, that that was the, the difference, wasn't it? The difference in opinion. Um, the hope has got to be now that the dressing room kind of recovers they they gather their thoughts that they present a kind of a unified force moving forward and maybe there's a maybe this this was a humbling experience and i think the fans have taken that but i think it's also the the players and the management might have to look at this and reassess and think right it, it's now time we're we're in a we've been in a bit of difficulty here and we we need to kind of all stick together we all need to be on the same page and we all effectively need to go really cliched to 110 percent to get through some of these games because I don't think I'm, I'm not entirely I don't always agree with stuff about players not trying hard but I, d- I don't think Everton 
can be anything less than 100% and win games at no, this moment in enough. time. They're not, they're not yeah, good yeah, enough. I mean, yeah. you, you think back to some of the the better teams under Roberto Martinez, Ronald Koeman, and David Moyes even, and some of those sides were able to grind out wins anyway because they had a solid defensive structure or they had a goal scorer in Lukaku up front that would get two chances and score two goals. I just don't think this Everton side has that at either end of the pitch at this moment in time. So if Everton, even if it's Liverpool on the 23s or a version of Liverpool's on the 23s, if Everton are going to go to Anfield and win, they need to be completely on it. And they definitely dropped off levels for a good 45 minutes. And even when they were good, they didn't capitalise, did they? They, they had three or four chances that they should have scored. No, they didn't. I mean, do I believe that some of those players actually didn't want to win that game? No, I don't think that they any professional athlete or footballer particularly goes out on that on that pitch to lose. It's, it will be complete anathema to them because, you know, despite the fact that it's their livelihood, why would they? Why would they want to go and and and? be embarrassed professionally like they were against kids. So I don't think it was so much a case of them just throwing their hand in and saying, no, this doesn't matter as much to me. But I do think there has to be a turnaround in the psyche. And if we can tap into what the short-lived bounce we had under Duncan and then then briefly, and hopefully there'll be longevity to it when Ancelotti gets his own ideas properly implemented. But the response we had to, to Marco Silva going... I'm not for a second thinking Carlo is going to play that way. I think that was a means to an end under Duncan um, and he'll have his own methods. But that will take time. And I think, you know, you saw in the second half when we were going short and trying to play out from the back with players who aren't really suited to doing that, I would suggest uh, certainly under a high, vigorous, youthful, relentless press like that. That's why you saw Yerry Mina panicking at one point and scooping a clearance up into the uh, the Anfield Road. And it was, it was embarrassing and, you know, it's going to take a long time to get over that. But I think it's going to take time to fix what's wrong at Everton. And if there was anyone under it, labouring under the illusion that it was going to be an overnight fix, then they're now disabused of that, I think. Well, that, that was effectively the conclusion to the um, to the piece, yeah. wasn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, was, exactly. Was, exactly, mate, yeah. So, yeah, which I'm just going to sit here and read our stuff out, really. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> You know what? I'm a bit concerned about Saturday, and, and not so much about Brighton, but you know, Brighton bring problems of their own. They're, you know, Graham Potter's a good coach. Um, they've got some good players. Uh, I think Aaron Moy is someone who can cause any team problems. Um, so that's that's one thing. I'm a little bit worried about how, just how if it's going to be toxic. I hope it's not. And, and you know, hopefully, Colin Ancelotti can find a way to put out a team that gets on the front foot, and we score early, and prevent anything turning. But say it's a bit edgy and, and they have a few chances and God forbid score first. I worry about what it could be like. Yeah, I think that I think that's a legitimate point because we've seen like like I said earlier, we've seen tensions escalate. So not only have we had the fallout in the dressing room, but we've also seen a real backlash on social media and in real life, if yeah. we're gonna call it that, after the game. So obviously you had the fans going to Finch Farm on Tuesday that story then getting out into the wider press um, and fans kind of demanding that Everton players start to show up and, and yeah. kind of put their best foot forward. Whether you agree with that or not, it shows that there are definitely elements of the fan base that are kind of close to breaking point. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. When you've got... This is why I completely agree with you. The, the start at Goodison is going to be so important yeah. because if Everton are 2-0 up, 
quite a lot of that tension will start to dissipate and it yeah. doesn't make up for a galling defeat, an embarrassing defeat, but it does start the very long path to righting that wrong. And if Everton win, Everton fans will get behind the team. It's as simple as, as that for me. So th- that's why a lot I do think a lot rests on that opening to the Brighton game, on getting Everton ahead, on playing with intensity and passion, all those things that I think Everton fans, maybe more than just about any other fans in the country, want to see. We all know that a kind of a thunderous tackle is met with applause. Yeah. We, we all know that, and that, that's one of the things that we, we like and love about Goodison. Yeah. And I think that's going to need to come to the fore again, as lo- as, along with lots of obviously kind of technical um Excellent if, if Everton to get over the line. If Brighton do score and they can tap into that feeling around the club, that negative feeling, certainly that feeling that could be in the terraces, then you do wonder what Goodison will do in that in that scenario. So I mean it's it's kind of fingers crossed that, that Everton can make the positive start we all we all hope and expect from them really, isn't it? Would you make changes? Do you I mean would you think that we're gonna see I don't know, Moise Keane start, maybe Maybe even Anthony Gordon starts, Tom Davis coming to the side. Does Mason Holgate go back in centre mid and Keane starts uh, alongside Mina? What do you think we should expect and, and, and should should Carlo Ancelotti make changes? Fans are going to expect him to make quite wholesale changes. But <laughs> I just not the same team. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that's that's the thing though, but I was, I was kind of, I was looking at it the other day and I was thinking, what wholesale changes can he actually make? Because it's still an Everton squad that's depleted in some areas. Yeah, There are injury concerns, particularly in central midfield with Gabamin and Andre Gomez being out. There aren't a lot of rotation options there and quality rotation options. The one area that I look at and I pinpoint and I think really does need work in the short term and ingenuity from Carlo Ancelotti is that midfield, which I think was probably the weakest part of the team in the second half at Anfield. <laughs> definitely, definitely the weakest part of the team. First of all, you've got an issue tactically in that most sides in the Premier League have three central midfielders in there yeah. and Everton are only playing with two yeah. at present. I think if it's two midfielders, it absolutely can't be. For, for their respective qualities in certain areas, it can't be Schneidlin and Sigurdsson because they're, they're a bit one-paced, when I think of a midfield, then it needs to kind of drive you forward, but it also needs to be solid defensively. It needs to be calm on the ball. I wouldn't associate that combination with all of those elements. Um, and maybe, maybe not. Well, totally agree. Maybe not any of them. In if it, depending on who you who you listen to. Yeah. So I think midfield's that one, and that was an area in which I felt like the game was lost at Anfield. I don't think you can afford to play that way, even against a Brighton, because Brighton are energetic. They like mm-hmm. to press. Yeah. This is not the Brighton of last season. Um, it's a different Brighton. Graham Potter has instilled different principles. So that that's an area I would look to make changes in. Uh, definitely. Calvert-Lewin, I think, definitely deserves to keep his shirt up front. Yeah. For me, he's been one of Everton's best players this season. Moise Keane's an interesting option. It de- but it, for me, that depends whether you kind of go with Richarlison up there or you want another striker. Yeah. Um, there needs to be creativity, there needs to be ingenuity in that midfield, and there needs to be that option to break beyond as well, Yeah. whether that comes from Moise Keane or Theo Walcott. Now, Theo, Theo Walcott's a really interesting person to discuss, I think, because I remember watching Alex Iwobi. You were covering the Leicester Cup game, weren't you? Unfortunately. I, yeah. I, I was sat, unfortunately, in the top balcony. <laughs> so I was there, I was there looking, 
closer to the Gladys Street, it must be said. Yeah. I was there watching in that first half, Everton trying to break through towards the Gladys Street, the Leicester lines. And Awobi was playing there and everything was in front of Leicester. And so often Seamus Coleman picked the ball up and was looking to drive forward and slip somebody in, in behind. Because Ben Chilwell plays quite high up the pitch, doesn't he? Yeah, they've got a high line, haven't they? But everything was in front of... Iwobi wasn't making those runs. He didn't have the natural inclination of a winger. And I think, at least in the first half, Theo Walcott was making those runs in behind Liverpool's defence and causing them a great deal of trouble. I don't care who it comes from, necessarily. I've got no agenda with regards to Walcott, DB, whoever, Bernard... There just needs to be an option, I think, to maybe one winger comes inside, the other winger goes beyond, and then you've got Calvert-Lewin winning flick-ons to, say, a Moise Keane or a Richarlison. That kind of variety of threat, I think, is what what's going to get Everton over the line. And let's be honest, you look at those Brighton defenders. We know Shane Duffy, we know Lewis Dunk, um, Webster's the new name, isn't yeah. he? He's the new name yeah. this season. All of those guys are above six foot. And would be quite happy, you would think, to head crosses from Dean and Sidibe yeah. away. I think the way you disorientate Brighton, and Everton did this brilliantly at Goodison last season, is with the rotation and the movement. And that, that wonderful Richarlison goal that we saw in the first half. Yeah, where what a goal. Sweeping move. Where it was one of the best moves of the season, wasn't it? It was fantastic. And I think we all thought at that point, it was still early doors for Silver. And we all looking at this and thinking, what? This guy, bloody hell! This guy's got Everton yeah, playing yeah. some fantastic football here. That was a counter-attacking goal, but they've be, they've dug in away at Chelsea and and that kind of and that kind of stuff too. So they're showing a couple of different faces here. That's how you get get a Brighton still in in defence. You you need those kind of mobile forwards to pirouette around each other and and drag defenders out of position. It can't just be about crosses, no matter how good Jabril Sadiba is, and he is. I think he's a he's a fantastic crosser of the ball. Luca Dean's dropped off, but Sadibi's doing that very, very well. So it's a, it's an int- it's an interesting one because I think fans will call for players to be dropped. They will want to see sacrificial lambs after a performance of that nature. I don't feel he can go wholesale changes. I just don't think that's feasible with the squad at this moment in time. But I do think what he can do is he can maybe look to bring in a few fresh fresh faces, maybe a Moise Keane, players of that ilk, and then you might get an Anthony Gordon on the bench, coming off the bench. Um, I, w- I would hope so, because I think it does, the lad's very talented and I think it's quite an easy win yeah. with Everton's fans. You, you see a young lad, you want to support him, you want him to do well. And he came on, he did pretty well, I thought, against Leicester. I, th- I thought he was lively and he won corners and he, he looked to take opposition players on. That element of fearlessness needs to be on display, doesn't it? When Particularly if you're a wide player or a player looking to penetrate between the lines and between blocks. He might just be might just be the difference off the bench for Everton. You you never know if he if he gets onto the bench. I think the, I think there's a relatively good chance yeah. th- that he will. Um although we'll see in the in the next few days obviously. What well, what would you like to see? What? Well it's it's what I wouldn't like to see really in terms of um, I I don't think it'll happen. But the idea if he were to select Schneidlin, Sigurdsson and Walcott my fear is that they might even get booed from the offset, you know, before they've kicked the ball when their team then their names are read out. I I don't think it would be a majority by any means. Goodison's not like that, but they might be louder than the than they might be audible, which is just a never a good way to start any no, game. That's a bit toxic already. The basic tenet of uh, of uh, Everton, Everton, any football club, but certainly Evertonians, is you you get behind your team. And all right, it was a, a terrible day on Sunday. 
but you, you get behind them at Goodison Park and you, you, you give them the support to try and right that wrong. But I just fear things were really bad on Sunday in terms of it started to go toxic, like I say, about my friend who, with his season ticket and other people who've just had it with some of those players. Um, so maybe it's time to take them out of the, the firing line. Um, but you're right. There's only so much you can make those kind of key changes. Yeah, you could argue you could bring Iwobi in if he's fit. I don't think the indication is he's going to be fit. Yet, touch, touch and go, yeah. Yeah, you could, uh, you could possibly drop Walcott to the bench. Although, if Walcott gives you that first half for 90 minutes yeah. at Anfield, then, you know, he, people forget he played all right in the first half. Second half, he was one of the worst at falling off a cliff. Mm. Some of the things he was doing was like, was mind-bogglingly bad. You know, just passing into touch. That cross when you've got Moise Keane and he just shanks that, yeah, panics yeah. and shanks a ball um, way ahead of Moise Keane and into touch again behind the goal. Awful. But that was a symptom of a wider malaise. Um, so maybe again, I agree with you, if he's going to play 4-4-2, which I don't think he will, but if he is, you cannot have Schneider and Sigs in the, in the middle of the park. So I would say give Tom Davies a go in the... Um, and yeah, I think Anthony Gordon starting might be a might be a step too far yeah. at the moment. But I'd love to see him come on and get some minutes and maybe more than just two or three. Maybe come on with ten, fifteen minutes, a chance to yeah. actually change the game if it's the right circumstances. If it's nil nil but then then again, that's talking about being brave, isn't it? If it's nil nil, why not roll the dice a little bit? It depends on the circumstances, doesn't it? Whatever way you look at it, there has to be some changes because I joked before but I can't. Don't think you can. You can put out the same team in the same formation. No, I. I just think that would set things off. You're asking in for a trouble. negative sense yeah. before yeah. it's even begun. And I think one of the lessons I've learned from Goodison over the last few days is you can almost gauge before the game from the atmosphere, from the reaction on social media to team selections, how <laughs> the crowd are likely to respond. At, at least at the beginning, yeah. be- before the match action, fully kind of gets underway yeah. and, and, and you kind of get into the second half and there's an ebb and flow. I've I've turned up at Goodison this season and almost kind of been dreading dreading from the team selection the what was going to happen on the pitch and that's happened a few times with substitutions and, yeah. and things like that as well. I think it's just about playing a pretty clever game here and if there are players in the firing line, as, as you put it, then maybe you look outside where possible and if Tom Davis becomes an option somebody that'll drive Everton forward with the ball you'll take risks you'll lose the ball occasionally but maybe you'll thread a killer pass Find through way through yeah yeah um if that if that's the if that's the answer then um then I hope kind of Carlo plays that mm. game and, and takes it but this is where I'm slightly more confident with the current regime because in Duncan Ferguson and the extra responsibility Duncan Ferguson has under Ancelotti he's he is an assistant manager yeah. rather than just a first team coach, somebody on the coaching staff, he'll be well aware of these issues. Um, you would have thought he knows what the Everton fans like and want. And I think he will be counseling Ancelotti ahead of this. And I don't mean counseling in a sense of sit- sitting with him in a room as yeah. almost like we're doing. Yeah. Now yeah, yeah. And talking yeah. negative <laughs> things through, <laughs> but he will be telling and advising Ancelotti that there are easy ways in which he can get fans on side. And, if if we see Bernard taking players on and Moisey Keane running in behind and Dominic giving his all and Tom Davis pulling the strings in midfield, Dean bombing on, then I think fans will temporarily forget that hideous defeat and they will look to do everything they can to secure three 
really important points for Everton. And that's the most important thing. Now, it's maybe not to dwell on the past. You do have to learn lessons, but you also have to move on, put your best foot forward and start to win Premier League games. That's that's all Everton have got. Now, for the end of the season, they need to win Premier League games. Mm -hmm. They need to push themselves up the table. And at the very least, I think, it's about paving the way for next season. Yeah. Laying solid foundations. Maybe trying out. Is Anthony Gordon, once you get to 40 points, is Anthony Gordon good enough now to be one of Everton's three or four wingers? I, I think he's a very promising player, so I, I hope he is. But you can assess those things in in game context. Lewis Gibson, if he stays at the club beyond January and, and the summer, is he somebody that could stride out of defence with the ball? Would he be better at neg- negating a press? From teams like Liverpool, might he, well be. Yeah. He, he could well be. Actually, he's very, very good on the ball. That's one of the things I like about Lewis Gibson. So you would hope so again. And all these things, these are these are you've got to learn the lessons, but you've got to set yourself up for the future. And I think that's what Ancelotti and Ferguson will know they have to do um, Saturday and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, just before we wrap up, we should mention, like I said earlier, New Year, new transfer window. January is well upon us, and. No business so far, hardly any business across the top flight, actually. But um, we we kind of, our reading of it, what we're hearing is that Everton are unlikely to be spending a lot in this window, aren't we? We're thinking it's more a case of dealing with getting players off the books with stranglingly big wage bill that we've got and, and some players on the periphery earning really high high salaries that we just can't really sustain with financial fair play coming into it when, when we're also looking to build a new team going forward under Carlo. Yeah, this is the this has actually been the difficult thing in the reporting of this because we know, for example, that Carlo Ancelotti sought assurances over budget. Yeah. Um, at least the budget over successive windows when he signed on the dotted line with Everton. He's been convinced by the vision. He knows that the club are ambitious and he took all that on board when he joined. But in the very, very short term, there is an element of adhering to financial fair play. Um, I think the phrase that we've used in a few pieces is as ambitious as is possible within the constraints of financial fair play. They'll try, we know they'll try to do bits of business this incoming, that is, uh, during the January transfer window. They they believe they're short in core positions, positions in the spine, like central midfield, central defence. Everybody knows these areas need improving. You, You can see that a mile off. And Everton will try as best they can to adhere to financial fair play and also to um, get key targets. But if they can't do that, then I think it's likely they, they don't do much business at all. The aim then will be to get Jenk Tosin, Umanias, Kuko Martina and others off the books, paving the way to the summer, which we expect to be a much busier window, don't we? We, yeah. we expect most of Carlo's big spending to, yeah. to come over the summer. Yeah, of course. I think... Just in case, you know, and I don't mean to patronise it, I'm sure you're all kind of across the fair play, but putting it very broadly in, in, in simple terms, the problem we've had in these successive big spending splurges under Steve Walsh and Koeman and then Silver and obviously now looking forward under, under Carlo is we've spent a lot of money, eye-watering amount of money, uh, without bringing that much money in. So it gets to a point and, and under financial fair play, what you're spending can't, enormously dwarf what you bring in and whether that's from net net sales of, of players or whether it's commercial deals or whether it's a new stadium, for example, naming rights, any anything commercial as well. And Everton are 
in danger of being very much on the wrong end of that because well, the, 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 they're simply not bringing enough money in. The, the, the case in point there is that Everton, according to most estimations, have a higher wage bill than Tottenham. So you imagine they're Everton, Everton are spending more on wages than Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham Hotspur are now raking in money from their new stadium. And that's a huge commercial entity. It's something that will make them lots and lots of money over the future. Goodison is restricted in what it can do. It's why a new stadium is so, so important. And Everton have tried to back managers. They have spent big. And it, it has shown ambition to try and yeah. kind of get the team up the table competing with the best. They are now spending the money of a Tottenham and beyond. Yeah. But they haven't got the financial stability, the financial basis to do that, the backbone, if you will, yeah, if, we, yeah, if we're gonna yeah. if we're gonna use a metaphor. They haven't got that in place yet because they need improved commercial deals, they need a new stadium with more corporate boxes, all that kind of stuff. The infrastructure is not yet in place. So I think Everton can only record losses of I think it's hundred and twenty five million pounds spread over three years to if, if they're gonna adhere to financial fair play. We believe that around the time of the general meeting on um the fourteenth of January, we believe the club's latest accounts will, will show will be out and will show a substantial loss, probably of eighty to one hundred million. So that shows you that there's not an awful lot of wriggle room. But they have promised Ancelotti funds in the future, and they do want him to have, have money to spend. So then you you look at getting your fringe players who are on big contracts yeah. out of the football club. It's an easy way. Yeah, you need to do that, and then you have to remember as well the financial years moves differently from the rest of the year. So the financial year closes before, if I'm right, start of July. So you get to a bit of a clean slate because whoever you sign in the summer doesn't appear in your accounts for then another two sets of accounts. So you have some wriggle room. And it might be that by then, Everton are in a position to announce some whopping new commercial deals as well. It wouldn't surprise me in the summer if we saw that. Um, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. In fact, from what we understand, Carlo Ancelotti is going to be backed the case that the matter as you explain there is is when and that's the crucial point um to consider but you know keep an eye on on, on paddy and i on twitter and on, on the athletic we have got uh, a daily transfer page on on the site and, yeah. and we're going to be feeding into that and paddy uh, was across the developments with cheng tosin earlier in the week in crystal palace and villa was sniffing around he's, he's been offered to those clubs he's not uh, getting the game time that he wants, wants to stay in England though. So I think that there have been representations made to certain clubs to secure his services on a on a loan deal until the end of the season. Besiktas and I think a few other Turkish clubs w- would happily have him. Yeah. And a few clubs in Germany likewise. There, there was interest from Frankfurt over, over the summer, we think, as well. But he's been offered to Villa, Palace and... Palace at this moment in time, while both have shown an interest to an extent, I think Palace are the option that has presented itself as like the, the most prominent for Cenk Tosin. So I, th- I think we reported with the with the aid of our um, colleagues, athletic colleagues in South East London, yeah. we reported on on that particular news line um, on the on the daily transfer page as you as you put it. So please check that out. I think the other thing to add that wasn't reported that Tosin did train uh, earlier this week. He trained on um, on Wednesday with the rest of his Everton teammates. So it's not 
yet a case of everything agreed let's get on to personal terms and beyond um there's still a little bit of work to be yeah, done of course. That deal over the line so of course i think he's one of the players they they believe he's on a, he's on a big salary he's behind moise Keane, calvert lew and richarlison in the pecking order he's one that they can get rid of um and kind of 100, 100 plus grand a week by the way as well yeah 100 plus grand a week salary we believe so think about that in terms of financial fair play and getting that off the wage bill for future um, accounts that are out. There are other easy wins they can do without Umani. Ash joined on a relatively big deal yeah. as well when he when he came over from Locomotive Moscow. He's not got long to run, so can Everton find him something before he, he leaves permanently? Um, that remains to be seen. It's a difficult task. It's not always easy, but they will try and do that and they will also have a look at what they can get. I think that's that's the thing to stress. If, if a good central midfielder comes available... And it's possible to do that deal. Everton, Everton will do that. Um, it might take a bit of creative accounting and um, structuring deals in certain ways to spread payments out. It might take loan deals. Who knows? Um, but they do want to try and arm Carlo with with the resources before a renewed assault on um, on the transfer window in in future windows. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to our group counselor. Sorry, podcast. Um, we uh, sorry we can't have been more positive. But maybe, maybe we'll be more positive in the next episode once we've thrashed Brighton. For ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code EvertonPod. That's a 40% discount now by using the code EvertonPod. Thanks for listening.